0: Welcome to Beyond Black History Month. This is a hip-hop made takeover. I'm your host, Famie Redwood. Hip-hop made. Even if you don't love hip-hop, you probably know a few bars from the song Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang. It was the first hip-hop song to be put on a record and the first hip-hop song to hit the Billboard charts. The group formed in 1979, its members, Henry Jackson, also known as Big Bank Hank, Michael Wright, AKA Wonder Mike, and Guy O'Brien, AKA Master G. Its success surprised a lot of people. I mean, whereas hip-hop was born out of the Bronx and MCs cut their teeth at neighborhood parties or clubs like Harlem World, these teenagers were mostly from the suburbs of New Jersey. But while the group had its share of controversies and criticism, the single was a hit and helped open the door for other hip-hop artists. Okay, so last week we continued our story about the birth of hip-hop. I spoke with Master G for over an hour. He had a lot to say, and it just wouldn't fit in that episode. So, this week, I'm bringing you our full conversation. We talk about it all how his upbringing prepared him for the group, the critiques that the band faced for years, how he feels about hip hop today, and what's next for him. Please introduce yourself, even though you don't need introduction. Bless
1: your heart. (laughs) Well, I'll do it this way. Well, I'm the MAS. the T E R, the G with a double E, and I go by the unforgettable name of the man they call the Master G. Hey, It's nice,
0: nice, nice. I love that. These many years later, you still have it. <laughs> yes, have
1: it. that's the best compliment. <laughs> Anybody can pay me A lot of times When we do concerts That's what You know I mm. get people are like Man I close my eyes And you sound just like You still sound right. like the record And that's a cool thing So right. yeah I'm glad I could still be able To make that happen
0: I love that Alright so for people Who don't know yes. I guess there are people That live under a rock
1: You
0: know <laughs> No shade Tell us your story before yes. you even got to Sugar Hill Gang. Apparently, you were flying airplanes and doing all of these things yes. before. <laughs> yes.
1: So I I come from a pretty interesting household. Uh, I was born in New York. Uh, 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 medical center in New York and I grew up in the Teaneck, Hackensack, Englewood area Uh, really grew up on Teterboro Airport. My dad was a a corporate pilot so we had a plane he was a a trumpet player. We had a studio in the basement and we're talking like 1970 68, 70 we had a studio. We were recording jazz um, legends you know. uh, uh. So I grew up in a music setting and I grew up in an entrepreneur like setting as we talked about. You know they were very um, aspiring self-made people uh, in my life. And um, so I tell people that all roads lead to me being who I am today. And uh, I was given an opportunity to really Express myself. i started playing drums when I was seven um, You know a lot of cool. I was DJ and I started DJ when I was like 15 That's what that's really kind of got me into rapping and I started as a DJ then I heard somebody uh, There was an upperclassman. His name is Mark Green. He'll hear us where he's at and he's still a friend I heard him at a party rap and I asked him what he was doing He said, I'm rapping, man, that's what they're doing over in New York, you know. And so I put that into my repertoire of DJing and rapping, and I was doing parties in Hackensack, and I started doing parties in Englewood. And then one thing led to another, and I walked in front of the pizza parlor in the summer of 79 in August and I met Sylvia Robinson, bless her heart and rest her soul, and she thought that I was cute and and (laughs) I sounded good and the rest is history. We went in the studio and cut that record.
0: Give me the whole story from Sylvia and her son to how it is that you all then got in front of the mic. Okay,
1: so uh, Sylvia had a niece. And Sylvia, for those who don't know, is Sylvia Robinson. She came from Mickey and Sylvia, uh, "Love Is Strange," and then she had her own career, "Pillow Talk," and she wrote and recorded uh, the moments uh, "Love on a Two Way Street" and various other hits. Um, she also had a, a recording facility in our town, in Englewood, New Jersey. So, her niece took her to a party, Harlem World. This was Harlem World back in the day she heard god rest his soul love bus love bug starsky rapping and so she asked if that was on record and at the time it wasn't on record it was only going on in the streets so her son was around our age so he was in the jersey area taken back to jersey they start looking for people who can rap because she says this this needs to be on record Mm -hmm. um they, they they decide to, you know, record, re-record Good Times because it was the breakbeat of the summer. So they had the music already. They were going to use one guy from a group called Sound on Sound. and The guy turned him down. In the process of that, used to was a guy in a pizza parlor who was from the Bronx, who we knew. He made pizzas, a black dude, and he rapped, and everybody knew about him. So they were looking to hear him. And in that process, I was walking down the street. My friend was another guy named Mark Green, believe it or not, two Mark Greens. <laughs> Spoke to Joey, which was uh, Sylvia's son, and that's what happened. They were like, we're looking for people who can rap. And my friend was like, well, if you want to hear somebody rap, you need to listen to him. So I got in the back of the car when I started rapping. And so initially, we thought it was only going to be one person. So I thought I was in competition with Hank. And I was already (laughs) intimidated because he was the guy from the Bronx, you know, who was legitimately supposed to be the real deal. Uh, Then we went up to her house. Mike came up. Cause he knew the DJ that suggested good times. Mm -hmm. And in the evening when it was about to end, he said, well, you miss Robinson, I know you heard me on the tape. I had a cold that day. Could you listen to me? And he proceeded to just rip and tear and do his thing. And so that's what happened. She said, rather than choose between the three of you, three is my favorite number. I'm going to, put the three of you together and then we went to the studio and cut Rappers Alight and here we are
0: back then like you said there were no records no the way people were able to hear this music was either these tapes that were passed around or being at a party so when she approached you and said we're gonna make a record something that hadn't been done what did you initially think
1: because of my background it didn't seem wild to me Mm. so it was like okay we're gonna do a record and I was like okay that's that sound cool now did I think it was going to be something meteoric no I just thought it was going to be cool because again I had been around that city. as as a matter of fact my father had done sessions at the same studio in the same studio I cut Rappers the Light in yeah so I knew the studio because when she started explaining to where to to me where the studio was, I was like, wait a minute. Is this the L-shaped building off of Palisade Avenue? She said, yes. And I used to run through that halls. My father's OB and da-da-da. So she knew my dad and she remembered me as a little kid. So it wasn't odd for me to be in the studio and, and cut anything. So when I cut Rapper's Delight, I really thought it was just, you know, an opportunity to be a little bit more popular. In Anglewood, Teaneck, and Hackensack. I'd get some dates. I do some not parties. Some date. Oh yeah, you know I'm, I'm 17 <laughs> years old. You know I was a, I was an awkward kid. I mean, even though I had all these cool things going on, I was a little bit you know out of the, out of the loop. You I know? love
0: that things have not changed. No, but whether or not it's my 17 year old n- nephew today. Exactly. Back, back in the day. No, hey, okay.
1: <laughs> you know we motivated by the women. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's the truth.
0: Yes. I'm
1: still motivated today by women. Come on.
0: Let's see. That's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, one see, day. That's, that's something that's else. Yeah. One.
1: Right. But yes. So, you know, that, that was the deal. I mean, we were, we were, you know, we were kids and, you know, we were working to get it done. And that was that. I didn't think it was going to go any further than the New York metropolitan area. I really did. I thought it was going to be New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. It was going to be cool. It was going to go. I was going to go to 12th grade because I was in, Junior high school. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, I was in the junior year of my high school. I was going to go to senior year. I was going to graduate and go into the military because I was getting out of here. Oh wow, that was my game plan because I wasn't going to go to college. I really didn't have that you know mindset, but I needed to do something. Right, and because I had been around planes and we did some traveling, and I was really already with that. I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna I'll enlist, mm-hmm. and I like the Marines uniform. <laughs> No, I was about some clothes. <laughs>
0: about the aesthetics, always, I yes, love it. Okay, always. so I like the
1: uniform, and I was like, okay. And I thought I was a little tough too when I was a kid. So, I'm like, I'm going to Marines. I'm going to travel. That was it. But you know, of course it ended up very different.
0: <laughs> very different, very different. You know what's interesting? So I've interviewed a ton of people for the seri- series already, and yes. everyone says, I ask the same question, what was the first song or album that made you fall in love with hip-hop? Mm. And it is
1: always... <laughs> Rap is delight. A-
0: always, without a doubt. It's amazing. When did you realize that, oh, wait, this is more than just cutting a record and then going into the military? What was that moment, if you remember?
1: I... The record had come out. We started doing shows, and uh, we performed at Rutgers University. So we did the first two shows we did was at a place called a Paradiso in um, Newark. It was a club back in the day, Broad Street. And we did a matinee and we did a nighttime show, and then we did a matinee. The matinee we didn't even get through it because the, the girls were going too crazy, and really? like literally we had to run <laughs> off the stage and. You know, that was, and then we did this concert at Rutgers University with Black Ivory. I don't know if you remember Black Ivory, but mm-hmm. they, yeah, they were an R&B group. And literally, like, while I was performing, I, they were trying to, like, literally pull me off the stage like grab my the laces of my shoes and the bodyguards that's kind of at that moment i was like wait a minute Mm. this is this is kind of like what i had seen like the jackson five because you know i grew up in that era so you know the jackson five there was a group called the silvers there was a you know earth wind and fire uh, commodores those are all the groups that i grew up Mm. looking at and listening to so i knew about how you know r&b groups were perceived Mm. and you know soul train everybody saw you know and um That night, I said, wait a minute. I'm getting the same kind of response and the reactions that I saw these other groups. And and it was like, hmm, yeah, this might be something here. And uh, it was.
0: What do you think it was? Like, what was that something? Like, was it because this was the first one on an album? Or do you think it was something... Bigger than that, more special than that. And that's not to trash anyone else who was creating music at the time. Mm. But what do you think it was that made it more special at that moment?
1: It was the perfect combination. I mean, the music was phenomenal. It was the breakbeat of the summer. That was first of all. The voice qualities. Hank's amazing voice. Mike's incredible voice. You know, I got a pretty good voice myself. Um, the, The content. You know, Mike's talking about what you hear is not a test and we're rapping to the beat. You know, uh, Hank, you know, uh, you know, uh, Superman and that whole thing. And I'm, you know, I'm pleading my case to the female population of the world. Um, I had to make sure I put that in there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you had... The, the, the um the cosmetic aspect of it you know I was a teenager so you know you had that Mike was a little bit older we were in our 20s it was it was just everything was the right and it, the timing was perfect for it mm. because it had already it was already a movement going on in the street so we had just what was going on in the street we just took it and put it on a form where everybody had access to it you didn't now you didn't have to go to the Bronx or you didn't have to be at the you know rooftop or whatever the case may be you could now turn your radio on and get it so that helped
0: uh outside of performances um so i think like often with hip-hop culture right there is the music that people who are into hip-hop truly like the true fans right they enjoy and then there are the other people like kind of fans but did you ever hear your music played at one of the neighborhood parties at a jam with the true hip-hop fans and if so what did that feel like how did the crowd react and what did it feel like?
1: So the thing you have to understand about us is that we went from being DJs and rappers to literally R&B stars. So from me doing basement parties for 50 bucks and dance halls for $100, I was now on tour with the... with the uh, earth, uh, um, What's the Funkadelic? Um I was doing shows all over the United States. We had, you know, now we were doing Soul Train. We so it, I, I was kind of removed from the scene. So if my music was being played somewhere, it, I'm sure that it was. Right. But I right. was, you know, it, it, we we were like literally went from, you know, a kid in the neighborhood to, you know, the hottest thing in the country.
0: Oh, was that shift difficult?
1: Totally. Yeah, How I so? wasn't. I I was not prepared for that magnitude of attention. It's very unnatural to have that kind of attention paid to. Even to this day, it's still very, very difficult for me to deal with, you know, because it's almost like you're walking on water, you know, and and you can do no wrong in people's eyes when it's not really the case, you know. And so you start getting a warped sense of reality. And I had to really kind of navigate being, because again, I'm 17, so I'm still form, you know, I'm still being, you know, mm-hmm. formed as a person, as right. a man. So right. I had to deal with that. Then at the same time, be, you know, I was thrusted into this, you know, white hot fame, um, and at the same time, also. Try to figure out how to get through life. So it was very, it was it was very very strange. Mm. Those first between you know seventeen to twenty three, that first block was very strange for me.
0: I did not realize you toured with. You said Parliament. Funcadelic. Yeah, the first major how, tour
1: we went on. Yeah. How
0: was that? That was wild.
1: I was eighteen at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, uh, I
0: explain I, to people who may not know. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. Funkadelic. Yeah. So uh George Clinton, Knee Deep. Uh, uh, um, you know all of that. Situation flashlight for those of you that don't know, and they were the older guys, they were seasoned individuals. So, you name it, you know, drug, sex, and rock and roll was going on. And you know, here's this kid that you know is coming from the suburbs to you know, George Clinton and the crew, and it was wild. It was, it was, it was very. It was eye-opening, <laughs> it was, to say the least.
0: I am sure. Yes. I'm sure. Um, fifth, it was a 15-minute long song. Yes. That was very long. Yes. Why was it 15 minutes long? Okay.
1: <laughs> so, even though I was in a studio setting, I was very familiar. I had never been on the mic recording anything. Now, I'd been on the mic many times at a party. So if you come to do the party, the party's going to start, let's say the party starts at eight and it goes to one. Okay, so you're going to be rapping quite a few times and for quite some time. Um, Same thing with Hank, same thing with Mike. So when they initially laid the music down, you get a set of musicians They go in They say okay we're going to lay down a track So they lay it down And they lay it down Until the people say stop So they laid down That body of work well, When we came into the studio to record We had already decided Because Mike said What you hear is not a test uh, He's going to go first And then it was called, It's called a mic pass So if I say One, two, three, four Come on Faye get on the floor That means that I'm going to stop rapping And you're going to start rapping That's called a pass Okay So we decided that Mike would go first, Hank would go second, I would go third. Okay, so the music starts, Mike does his thing, he passes it to Hank, Hank passes it to me, the music's still playing, so I passed it back to Mike. Mike passes it to Hank, Hank passes it back to me, the music's still playing, I passed it back to Mike. Mike passes it to Hank, Hank passes it to me, and we went. And the only reason why we stopped is because the music stopped. But had so if the music was thirty minutes, we would have kept going because nobody in the control room. That was the other thing: the, ex, the experts or the people that knew what would, knew what was going on. They didn't tell us to stop. So because nobody told us to stop, we just assumed that this was the way it was supposed to be. Now, of course, afterwards we realized that you know songs aren't fifteen minutes long. So now we started, you know, we started getting the knowledge of writing songs and you know hook, verse, and that kind of thing. But that initial recording was three guys that had never done it before in a room full of people who were supposed to know what's happening. That I guess they just <laughs> let it happen. It just I guess because it, it was sounded so good, they let it go. Oh wow, well, yeah it was when I was younger my mom would play
0: it. I always wondered why is this song going for so long? I enjoyed it. Right. Uh, but I was wondered why is this song going so long? Do you know what's interesting about this song? It does not matter your age your generation Again, from my 17 year old niece or nephew to my dad who is 67 or 77. Oh no, he's 77. Everybody knows the song.
1: It's an amazing, perfect storm. Yeah. This is the best thing that could ever happen to an artist. This record will keep us in beautiful clothes. <laughs> And wonderful lifestyle for quite some time. And it'll go, it's just one of those things. You know, there are certain songs that are just, you know, that song. I right. Mean, like an Earth, Wind, and Fire. Song. Wind and Ad- I, right. You see what I mean? Right. Yeah. Shining Star. It doesn't matter.
0: Does not matter no. you now.
1: Ain't no stopping us now. It doesn't right. matter. Right. You know, uh, Billy Jean. It doesn't matter. Rabbit's Delight. It doesn't matter. You know, right. it, it, it's it's the perfect storm. You know, when when all the articles and all the elements add up, it never it, and it's captured. See, this is the thing about a recording. Like we're recording now, this content is being captured. That's what happens. That's what happened with Rappers of Light. You caught that fifteen. We caught that fifteen minutes on that recording, and it's there. So. That's genuine. Nothing in that is 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 phony. Nothing in it. It's all there. And so that continues to translate every time you play it. And then the other thing is the connection that people have to the music. If you're not a person that grew up with it, you're a person that saw it or heard it in a co- commercial or you saw it or heard it in a TV show or somebody told you about it or you went to one of our concerts or you saw a document it's, there's just so many different Uh, avenues that go that run to Rapper's Delight and that's why it's still a major major and like you said I mean I tour regularly I mean I'm on the road more than I'm at home right you know and there's never been a time that I that you know we hit the song and it didn't work Mm. I mean the show could be the worst show in the world right there's two records that I know I'm gonna get them (laughs) Apache Mm. And rap's delight. I already know. It doesn't matter. And right. I'm not saying our shows aren't bad. Our shows are generally great. But I, I'm I'm a really, you know, I'm a hard person on myself. So right. I might say, like we did the show in um in a city, I'm not gonna say the city, but I didn't really think we were really getting them. Mm. You know, I was like, ah, you know, because it's really important for me, because that's the best time of the day. Mm. I said, like, it's okay though. I got the I got the bangers <laughs> coming up. And then sure enough, boom, boom, and then you know, oh my god. So, yeah.
0: We have to talk about some of the controversies. Yes, of course. It's cool. First off. Yes. Y'all were the first, or rather Rappers Alight, was the first song to deal with a sample lawsuit.
1: Okay, so it wasn't a sample lawsuit. Oh, it wasn't
0: a sample. What was it?
1: There was no such thing as sampling in 1979. Well, that's what I was
0: going to say. I didn't think. So, what was it? And then, I guess that's it. It, Did it not cross anyone's mind because that didn't exist yet?
1: So, it was re-recorded. So, all of that is original recording of the original song, okay? The problem is they didn't do the proper uh, work as far as the rights were concerned with Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards. That's what the problem was. That wasn't on our end because again, we were young and didn't have any idea what was going on on that end. That was between what happened with the Robinsons, Nile Rodgers, Bernard Edwards, and that situation. Unfortunately, you know it didn't turn out uh, like it should have but over time it's it's been worked out it's mm-hmm. it's a lot better than it was okay yes
0: do you all have to, what does that look like today do you have to pay them a certain amount of money no so so or...
1: so there are there are revenue streams okay. that are going in different directions but again fortunately once we were able to try to work some things out a lot of those revenue streams have kind of reverted to us as well but yes though the the, the parties that you right. know, should get what they get. They get what they get. But initially, it was a little bit hairy. Right. I'm uh, sure they were, they were thinking about. It. They were trying to get it all at first.
0: A rough. Oof. Yeah. That would have been rough. Yeah. It would be. So then, since that, I understand that at that time, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about '79. Yes. A lot of these conversations weren't happening yet. Specifically, sampling. We talk about sampling all the time. Right. You name a hip hop song, it's been right. sampled right. Oh, or it's a Sample from something. But after that, were there any other protocols in the industry, any changes in the industry where this was now a bigger concern? Because even some of the, the records that DJs were spinning, DJs weren't spinning hip-hop records. No. They were spinning yes. Aerosmith, yes. Uh, whatever they got their hands exactly. on. So since when that initially came out, did that affect any long-lasting changes afterwards in terms of making this stuff a bit more clear?
1: Well, from that point then, because the sampling really still did not happen till uh, several years after. Got it. Initially, we were still re-recording breaks. So... Whatever break, like Apache, is a break. It's from a song called Bongo Rock. Okay, right. exactly. It's a, so what happens is we went into the studio. They said, okay, well, what else do you guys have? Uh, the first thing that we did was a song called Eighth Wonder, and that was a a, a break from a song called uh, Seventh Wonder. It was Daisy Lady. That was uh, uh, the, that part that ba 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 So took it in. Said so this is the break that we use. Musicians got with it, arranged it. Now again, we're now in songwriting, so okay, we need we need a verse so that you can rap on, and we need the hook. So it became that kind of situation. So all the roads started working out. Mm-hmm. You know, call okay. the people, make the make the, make the necessary agreements, etc., cetera, et cetera, moving on. So yeah, and then sampling came. So for a long time, the sample situation went without being properly done. Mm. you know as we about you know people know about the James Brown situation you know, a lot right. of the stuff was sampled and uh, Mays uh, a lot of right. the things Frankie Bradley stuff was sampled but eventually what started happening is the law caught up with the process mm. and then same thing you know, everybody gets in the party. This is what's happening. Right. This is what goes down. Publishing, etc. And then from that point on, now you see, you know, every record that is that that sampled, you see that those writers share in that composition. Moving forward.
0: Another controversy. It came out later that some of the lyrics were li- written by Grandmaster Caz. Yes. Tell me, did you all know about that? Tell me, give me some insight there.
1: So again, you have to understand. I'm 17 years old. Um my life was in I tell people I'm, I was a suburb kid you know what I mean uh, my grandparents my dad's folks lived in Mount Vernon they had a three family house my grandmother lived in Bed Stuy. She had one of those beautiful basement apartments on, you know, a very nice street in Brooklyn, Bed Stuy. So yeah, I went back and forth across the George Washington Bridge, but I wasn't hanging out at clubs. I didn't go to the parties. I didn't. So I, I so we didn't know. And Mike, thing, same thing. He came from, you know, DC. He grew up in Newark, went to DC. He was a suburb kid. You know, we were in Jersey. We didn't know what was going on in the Bronx. The only thing that we knew about the only person that was tangible to us was Hank. And so he came over with the story is his story was I'm rapping. I'm a rapper and I rap in, you know, the Bronx. So we took it as law. So at the audition and I tell the story a lot at the audition, when you we were in the car, he's saying I'm a C.A.S. in the O.V.A. and the rest is F.L.Y. And I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, wow. So I thought because, again, I, you know, County Monte Cristo Casanova, uh, you know, I'm watching these movies and see I'm thinking he's saying he's a Casanova and he's fly. I I didn't know that was a person's name, so then we get to the studio because he said the same raps everywhere, all the way up to including that session. And that's the thing that kind of tripped me out because, like, when we went to Miss Robinson's house to audition that night, every time I'd come up with a new rap, he'd keep going back to the same rap. <laughs> so I'm like, why does he keep saying the same raps? Right. Because every person that I knew that rapped, you wrote your rhymes or right. you freestyled. Right. Right. So. Right. Go in the studio, same thing. He cuts it, he says the same rap. We thinking, okay, the the the, the, the credentials for a rapper is if you rap, you wrote the words. We didn't know Caz, We didn't even know the Cold Crush existed because Mike and I were in Angle, at Hack Attack and Teenage. Now the record blows up. Now we start moving around. We start getting around. We start rubbing shoulders with people. And all of a sudden we find out he did not create those lyrics. Now, here's what the story is. The story is that I'm sure after he did his audition and knew he was going to get this opportunity to record, he probably went to Kaz and said, hey, Kaz, this is what's going on. I need some raps. Now, the story that I get, or I hear is that allegedly Kaz said, okay, take the book. Well, you have to always understand. And everybody, because we, I had a conversation earlier today. See, most people don't remember a time when there was not rap music. Okay. There was no such thing as you could become successful, you could become wealthy, you could live off of your music for the rest. Nobody had any inclinations whatsoever. Now, going into a situation today, first thing a person's gonna say is, wait a minute, hold up now. You know, I gotta get, you know, I get the rights and my rights live pretty good. But you, you, you didn't know that in 1979, in the summer of 79, when Hank went to Kaz and said, hey, man, they want me to do something. He, he's like, OK, whatever. Heck, I think Hank was like a manager for them or mm. he went out with them. So he was like, OK, sure, whatever. Right. What's going to happen? So that's the thing, too. Yes, he didn't go about it the right way. But in the same breath, nobody knew it was going to be what it become. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. So you know that's the thing, you know, I, and and then the, and then the other thing that I want to get across to everybody is that Mike wrote every lyric that he ever said. I wrote every lyric that I've that I've ever said. Well, uh, and 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 so sometimes people they want to group us in. They say, well, all of this, it's fake. They're, they're they're not real rappers. I was rapping in Hangerwood. I was rapping in Hackensack. I was writing raps. Mike, the same thing, you know. So th- sometimes that that's the little that bothers me. People mm. think, oh, well, they just they were Millie Vanilli. No, mm. no, we're the real deal. <laughs>
0: You did not put Millie Vanilli under the bus. Did I say that? (laughs) You just went drive back in reverse for Millie Vanilli.
1: Bless their heart. (laughs)
0: See, super quick. Here's the rest of our conversation. (laughs) But does it, I, I can already tell it kind of frustrates you. Do you think it tarnishes your legacy, though? No. Okay.
1: No, because good, bad, or indifferent, and everything's got, you know, light and dark everything. I don't care what you do. I don't care who you are. Uh, Kennedy was the greatest president that we've ever had. Light and dark. You know what I mean? Does it tarnish his legacy because he's got a little darkness? No. Martin Luther King, light and dark. Does it tarnish his legacy? No. Because he did what he did. We did what we did. You know, we brought this music to the world. You know, we are the ambassadors of this music. I don't care what you say, who this, what's going on. Wonder Mike, Big Bang Hank, and Master G are the first of their kind.
0: Period. Shifting gears a little bit. Okay. But not really. (laughs) Kind of. Uh, so outside of Rapper's Delight, the other song we hear from often in terms of being that song is Apache. Let me
1: tell tell you Tell me about Apache. Okay. So like I said, when at the parties we used to spin that same two 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 records, put them together, put that break beat, and we spun that record at the parties. We have now recorded uh, Eighth Wonder," "Rappers of Light." We're established. We're, you know, we're stars now. You know, I hate to use the word star, but we're, we're very famous. We're very known. So we're looking for another song. So somebody says, "Hey, let's use, let's use," you know, Bungle Rock." Could go in the studio? They come up with this beautiful composition of, you know, bum 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 bum, bum horns, and then the bassline because we want to rap on it, and because it was Apache. You know, uh, Mike and I kind of came up with the idea of the Long Ranger. That's why we talk about Tonto and kimosabi and all of that kind of th- that thing. We cut the record. The record comes out. It's OK. It's a B-level kind of hit. It's not a major record. Eighth Wonder was a bigger record. Rabbit's Delight was a bigger record. By this time, The Furious Five, a, a Flash and The Furious Five had come out. And they had Freedom. And they had records. And OK, boom. Now, We're moving into the 90s. There's a a show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And there's an episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Will and Carlton are at this thing and they come out and they do this dance (laughs) to this song. And they got the, the, the ties on their head and the whole nine yards. Okay, so my daughter comes to me one time, and we have a house out in LA. She says, Dad, you don't understand. Apache's like, what are you talking about? You know, we're (laughs) talking about, you know, this is, we cut the record in 82, 81, 82. It's now 93, 90. Oh, you don't understand. So they, this is when they had the TiVo. You remember the TiVo? Mm -hmm. She's Mm coming out, let me show you. So she TiVo's me the episode. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now I hadn't been performing. I stopped performing from 85 to 2005. I I was not touring at all. No live performances. 2005, I started going back out on the road. We do the show. Eighth Wonder, blah, 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 blah. Rap. But we hit Apache. Everybody's pow. I'm like, oh, my God. Wait a minute. Five, six, seven, eight. Now, everywhere I go, I'm like, I'm leaving. It. We're in Europe and, you know, these different. Wow. So I'm like, yo, what the? they like, yo, you don't understand. You know, because of that episode, that song is a bigger record today. It's the same record. Now, and here's the other funny thing about it. The the title of the song is Apache. That's the name of the song. That recording. Once it got to that part of it, the jump on it part, the newer generation renamed the same song. So people think it's a brand new song. (laughs) It's the same recording. It's the same song. There's no difference. The only difference is it had another life. So Apache has now become jump on it. Same song. (laughs) <laughs> same song, same recording. Huh. Yeah. Forty right. something year old song that's bigger today, which is almost unheard of.
0: Right, right. The song
1: is bigger today. It rivals Rapper's Delight when I do it on stage.
0: Oh, I'm not gonna lie. I is freshman to Bel Air. That's how
1: I That's it. Thank you, Will.
0: Like, I, I remember the Thank same. you, Jazzy Jack. Like, I literally remember the That's same. what happened.
1: Yeah. 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 That's what happened. Huh. After that episode, you hear it everywhere. Basketball games and right, whatever right, the case right. may be. Yeah. But that's wow. what happened. Wow.
0: So you're still touring today. Yes. Uh, do you still listen to hip hop music?
1: So I hear it. Mm. Yeah. I hear it. That means it. you do not listen. <laughs> <laughs> not because I don't appreciate it. Let me say that. I appreciate the evolution of the music. Mm-hmm. Because how can I not be cool with something that I help bring to the world? Right. So I appreciate it. I love the fact that it's done so much for so many people. I love the fact that it has changed lives of people. I, 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 if I had a dime for every time somebody told me that, you know, we changed their life or the music because of the music, they would have been dead or in jail. And they're now, you know, entrepreneurs or they're multimillionaires or they're artists or they're producers. So... I love that idea, but you have to also understand, I'm a 60-something-year-old man. I'm not necessarily gonna be listening to young to Little Young Yachty, or whatever his name is. You know what I mean? Not taking anything away from it. I would love to meet him, it would be a really cool thing, but I'm not listening to that. When I started making records, 17-year-old girls were listening to my music. That's who's listening to the music now. 18, 19, 20-year-old guys are listening to the people because it's it, it, it's a music that speaks to the younger generation. So that's why I say I hear it, but no, I don't listen to it. I'm an older cat, so I'm gonna listen to different things. You know, but I am the ambassador of this music. I enjoy the fact that it's still here. I'm like I said, I enjoy everything that it's doing and I enjoy what it does. But uh, you know, for me I listen to common i listen to mm. kendrick i uh, uh i listen to uh talib kwali um i love them i think they're amazing uh, I, I i would love to you know work with any one of them i had an opportunity we did a podcast during the pandemic i interviewed uh talib kwali i interviewed uh, uh some amazing people uh so yeah yeah okay yeah
0: so who is your favorite
1: rapper today is it one of those guys
0: can't say yourself <laughs> no <I'm>, okay <laughs> I would
1: never say that no way I, I, that i don't i don't want i don't say i don't i don't have a favorite rapper i think that's i think that's not cool you know it's like again my position for this music is different from everybody else's position you know how can i single out one person when i'm connected to every one of them you know i'm like the, i'm like i'm like the tree and the and and every and on that tree it has branches and those branches have leaves but it all comes from the tree so you know I, I don't have a favorite rapper i enjoy all rappers i enjoy everything that's going on uh but there are a few people that i do listen to like i said i listen to kendrick i listen to uh uh common. I really enjoy what listening to you know the stuff that he's done. Um I like Method Band. I think he's really amazing. He's really, really, really talented. That whole situation, the Wu Tang clan, I think wow. Right. Shout right. out to them.
0: So hip hop is celebrating its fiftieth year anniversary. What do you think the next fifty years of hip hop looks like?
1: I think it's gonna continue to blossom. I think it's gonna continue to Evolve with the world in itself You know um, People ask me a lot of times What I think about hip hop today And I think that it, It speaks to what's happening You know The things that a person can say now in a song I couldn't say You know The things that people do now I couldn't do Uh, You know, when I was a kid, I smoked cigarettes and it was like taboo. If I was in public smoking a cigarette, the label would have lost their mind. I mean, now, you know, people are talking about smoking weed. I mean, it's a different world. So you have to understand. And it also has it goes to different places. Again, I was a suburb kid. So, again, I'm you know, I didn't grow up with, you know, broken glass. I didn't grow up with, you know, that kind of thing. I grew up trying to get a date. I grew up, you know trying to figure out what I was gonna do with my life. But then you take the music and you take it to LA, to South Central, where they're dealing with police brutality and, you know, guns. and and So now they're talking about what they know. You switch it and take it to Harlem. You take it to the Bronx, where that's what's going on in the Bronx. So you think, so it speaks to whoever it is that has it. Take it to, now. let's go to Will Smith in Philadelphia, who was somewhat of a suburb kid. What did he talk about? right you see let's flip the script and go to kanye out in chicago what happened with that let's use common he was he was a pretty he was a guy that you know kind of had some 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 kind of background so it speaks to whoever it is that's holding on to it and that's why you get what you get
0: does it frustrate you that there's undeniably so much more money today in hip-hop than there was 50 years ago i mean people are walking out with contracts and bags at you know, does that frustrate you that there's no. so much? It doesn't. No. Okay.
1: No, no. Because here's the deal. Let's let's use uh, professional sports. The money that a, 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 a professional basketball, let's say Clyde Frazier, you know, the money that the Knicks paid him in 1977 is not the money that they paid Patrick Ewing. It's two different situations. Cost of living is going to be different. Life is different. You know, Uh Am I am I comfortable? I'm very comfortable. Do I live a great life? Yeah, I live a really good life. You know, trust me, I've got I got the trappings of success. So my situation is I'm I'm who I am. You know, I'm not worried about what somebody else was in somebody else's pocket. I'm happy. See, I believe in the power of positive energy. So I'm never going to be bent out of shape because if you can get 30, 40 million, great, get it. You know what I mean? Because that's going to put somebody else in a position to want to do something, too, as long as you're doing something with it. That's my thing. Okay, you making that kind of money. Great. Make some that. That's why I applaud Jay-Z. I applaud Puffy. I applaud Dr. Dre. I applaud all these guys that have done these phenomenal things and have got these incredible numbers because they're making things happen. You know, so no, you know, and then to me, it is what it is it's not what you get it's what you do with what you get <laughs> right 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 uh,
0: is there anything that you haven't done yet that you are hoping to do in your career yes what is that
1: uh, I'm working on having a radio career mm. I got a little bit of a of an XM show that I'm doing now it's called the Master G Theater nice. and I'm on <laughs> I'm on HUR's uh, XM channel 141 and 142 the HBCU so I have that that's so that's my I always wanted to be and see that was the other thing and people don't really realize this that the other thing that I wanted to do was be a DJ mm. so that was another game plan also so I was going to also try to get into communications because Frankie Crocker who is the the the, 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 the lord and master of New York radio <laughs> right was a friend of ours ah. so one of the planes that I had the pleasure of flying in was Frankie Crocker because my father taught him how to fly so I wanted to be Frankie Crocker. So I've always wanted to be, you know, <laughs> at a radio station and have a job like a lot of my peers. You know, Chubb's got a thing and right, right. they got the thing going on to rock the bells and right. everybody's got their thing. And again, uh, a shout out to him. So that's something I really look forward to. And then uh, I've dabbled in film and television. I've done some commercials. I've done some some acting. And so I, I would like to make that happen before, uh, you know, I decide to sit down. When are you going to sit down? I don't know. As long as it keeps on feeling this great, I don't know. (laughs) I I can't say because I'm having the time of my life.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the touring is amazing. Uh, you know the the opportunities. You know we we we've actually one of the things that I'm doing now. I started a company called Adonis Entertainment Group, and uh, we're opening the doors now to develop a young artists. And uh, we're going to do motion pictures. We're going to do uh, you know uh, uh, music. And so that's something that I'm really excited about right now.
0: Is this going to be your first time taking that mentorship role? Yes. Oh wow. Okay.
1: Yes. Uh, I, people have come to me for years, and they wanted me to do it. And and I really wasn't in the right place in the right space but now I have such an amazing team and you know there was a lot of stuff going on with Sugar Hill Gang that I had to really kind of work with and get right so now that we got Sugar Hill Gang good and you know I got a great group of people that you know help me deal with that on a day to day basis shout out to Leland Robinson who you know uh, is the uh, remaining member of the Robinson family who and I, he and I are business partners and brothers and we've buried all the hatchets and you know righted uh, you know, all the wrongs and that situation Shout out to all my guys over there hen dog and T dynasty and all those cats that helped me with sugar hill gang and so it's given me that freedom and it's given me that mind space to be able to now receive and accept new talent development and And moving in that direction. So that's what Adonis entertainment is all about.
0: So this question's got maybe harder for you to answer than mm. some of the other folks I've interviewed. But one know. question I ask everyone is, what was that record that made them fall in love with hip-hop? You didn't have that record. right? So what was it, though, that made you fall in love with hip-hop?
1: I was already in love with it before I started making records. Because I was doing it. It was my thing. I did parties on the weekends. What so... made you
0: want to do that, then? to do parties? Yeah, what made you want to do be a DJ? What was it?
1: I wanted to make money. <laughs> I was <laughs> always a hustler. I've been a hustler my whole life. Yeah. Like I said, you know, we talked about that. You know, I come from an era where, you know, most of the people of color were self made. You know, and in the suburbs, in that New Jersey Hackensack Teaneck area, most of the people in the sixties and the seventies came from New York and they were self made people. You know, so I that was my nature. That was my 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 thought process. So when I got into a situation where I was 15 16 years old and my mom was going through whatever she was going through it was like okay I got to figure out a way to make some extra money so being in the music setting and being in the in the music scene The DJ thing started becoming very popular other people were DJing so I had access to equipment and I had the mind of an entrepreneur, so I put a stereo system together and partnered up with my buddy that had another stereo system, and we talked to a beautiful girl like you into <laughs> throwing a house party, and we I started making business cards and passing out flyers in school, and yeah, it's 16 years old. The name of my DJ group was Phase Two. That's why if you listen to Rappers Delight, it says it's Phase Two Doing to Do. Well, that was the name of the group. But I was running a business at you know sixteen years old. Wow. That's how I felt. That's what. That's what. So when it when it came to me doing it in the studio, studio, it was like, again, I'm thinking on a business mind. I'm thinking not only am I be able to get some dates, but I'm going to be able to get some more some parties. Money to that's pay right. for those dates.
0: Exactly. <laughs> All right. So now I, I want to hear, you know, we are going to pretend like I have paid for your concert. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, that's right. I want to hear you rap. Let's hear Rapper's Delight.
1: Oh God. So we'll do uh... <laughs> Uh, it said the M-A-S-T-E-R, the G with a double E. So you go by the unforgettable name of the man they call the Master G. See, my name is known all over the world, all the foxy ladies and the pretty girls. I'm going down in history as the baddest little rapper they could ever be.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. Nice. What would your mom think when she heard that?
1: She thought that I was a little cocky. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, really, guys? You know, my, my, my name is Guy. So, you know, she was like, oh, is that what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, my mother was kind of like a really grounded kind of person. So she was looking at it sideways. But I said, okay, I'm going to go with it.
0: It worked out in the end. It AR. worked
1: out well, yes. All
0: right. How does hip-hop make you feel?
1: Oh, my God. That's a good question. So there's a lot that goes into me getting up and doing my thing. Like there's, there's a flight and there's... Drivers and there's there's this and there's agents and there's all oh, there's so much that goes into it. It's not like when I was a kid, you know. When mm-hmm. I was a kid, you know, my mom, my friend's mom used to bring the equipment in the back of her station wagon <laughs> to somebody's house. Bless her heart, Miss Cook. If you're still here, I, I thank you because again, we 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 couldn't even drive. You know, I didn't even right. have a car. So this woman, this woman would eight o'clock would take all of this 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 equipment to your house. And the party would go to one o'clock. We would call Miss Cook at one o'clock in the morning. This woman would get out her bed and drive the station wagon over to wherever the party was. Wow. And we put all the stuff in the in the thing and then take it back to Kevin, my friend Kevin's house. This is different now. You know, like I said, you know, we, we we have all of these people and handlers and and there's a lot of moving parts to get me to that point where I walk on that stage and do my thing. But I'm telling you, if it's, 20 minutes if it's two hours it's still the best part of the whole thing you know yeah I want to live a good life I got a family so trust me people you know you got to take care of your family and you know you want to take care of your family at a high level so I'm not saying that I don't appreciate the accolades and all the things that come with it but for me it's still rocking a party whether it's 10 people or 100,000 people. And I'm telling you, I have do festivals and I've done Formula One concerts in Singapore and I've done, you know, bar mitzvahs, you know. And it's the actual essence of getting on a mic and rocking a crowd. That's hip hop to me. Like I know it's rap and hip. To me, it's still... If I can rock the crowd and the like, I told you like I, I'm, I'm emotionally connected to rocking a mic, to to getting down, you know. So it, it it's almost like a love affair. And like you sometimes you're in a relationship, you don't feel like your love is really right, kicking right, it with right. you. Something might be like, right, hey, but, so now you're working to make it right. But right. then when you get it right, it's like. It's the same thing for hip hop for me.
0: So, are Still. you getting energy from the crowd or from the from the? I mic? get
1: energy from me, and then I get energy from the crowd seeing that I'm getting the energy. Mm. See, I like to see people enjoy me, and the more that I see them enjoying me, the more that I understand, the more that they understand that I am really doing this for mm. real. It just makes me high. Like literally, after I get off the stage, it takes me almost like an hour to calm down. Mm-hmm. And I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I don't take, you know any kind of enhancing I don't because I can literally go from being laid back to hit that stage and I'm on as they say 100 is that they say or on 10 or whatever it is right right but, but and then I'm so amped up like I'm so amped up sometimes I get a headache because I'm I'm going so hard like when I get off the stage I gotta literally like sit down and just kind of like because I'm so it's so amazing for me
0: were your kids embarrassed by you? Because like when I was younger, I was embarrassed by anything my parents did. So how did your kids react to you and your fame when they were younger?
1: So so like the only my youngest my youngest two so I have a son that's twenty eight and my daughter's twenty three so and they, and I wasn't doing I was in business at that time okay so okay. they got like remnants of it but they didn't really have it like in spades. My kids didn't really start understanding my fame till now. Mm. yeah so when they were younger it was different even my oldest son he's 40 but he didn't really start they didn't really get it you know because again i don't i didn't move like that you know and i didn't i don't i'm not the typical celebrity and right, right, right. I, I, I i never really moved like i don't even move like that right now right um like going to the game is a big deal for me mm. you know like like i'm gonna be with the, the who's <laughs> who's I'm, I'm tripping you know i'm like wow they they want me to come to are you
0: gonna be hanging out with Spike Lee I don't know I'm like, wow. I'm like wow what up give it back
1: so it didn't happen till later okay uh, because that's when people started talking about mm. you know right Sugar Hill Gang and this and that and like I said Will Smith my daughter right. and it was really like their, their friends parents mm. they kind of were like Do you understand who your dad is? My dad's my friend's mom wants to meet you, and my friend's dad (laughs) thinks you're like. No, I don't
0: understand. You know, like when I told my mom I was interviewing you, that is what impressed her. See, nothing else in my that right there, (laughs) like insane. That's what impressed her. Yeah
1: moms, they'll be like, Master G? Oh, wait a minute. He was my favorite.
0: Seriously. In <laughs> I, fact, I was supposed to call my mom to get questions from her that she <laughs> want me to ask. I was like, I'm not doing that. I don't have time to do with Sandra Reba today. We're going to put that to the side. Uh-huh. So it's all good.
1: Tell your yeah. mother I said hi. I shall. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh my. You were trying to get me divorced from my mom. And <laughs> I did a FaceTime and she was not ready and she saw Yeah, you. yeah, yeah. No, not no, no. Not to mention, my mom would start swooning and then my dad would be like, whoa, Yeah, I don't
1: whoa, Yeah, whoa. yeah. We don't want to do know, that. Yeah, I've had to to that. i had to deal with that all my yeah. life. So no, yeah. no. I'm, I'm like, Yo, peeps, we're good. Yeah, Trust yeah. me. <laughs>
0: do you have a favorite moment in hip hop history?
1: Wow. That's a heavy question. Yeah, when it started being recognized on the on the uh platforms, you know, because you know, we had the hottest record in the world. And they didn't give us the time of day. Nobody. No new artists, no Grammy, single, best single. We got none of that. So like now, you know, they're getting ready to do this big thing and you know, the whole nine yards out there. We actually my my um, my label mates out there, uh Grandmaster Melly Mel and uh Flash and um Scorpio and shout out to the Ethiopian King, uh, the guy that performs with us. They're doing it now, so yeah. Those 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 are moments that let me know that you know it's getting in the right places. And then you know, there's so many moments. You know, uh, you know, uh, uh, Puffy. You know, whatever he's calling himself now. I don't want to disrespect him, but I mean, to be a party promoter, right. to you know, Bad Boy Entertainment, what they've done. Uh, Death Row I mean uh, Dre uh, Snoop uh, there's so many hip hop moments come on there's there's no one moment that I'm proud of I'm proud of all of the achievements that everybody's doing because it just only makes it better for the people that's coming behind it
0: right right Uh, what does hip hop mean to you
1: life love the pursuit of happiness you know yeah money
0: (laughs) Money. Money. (laughs) Uh, A quick story that people may not know that you want to share. Wow.
1: Uh, That I I was completely against my whole existence as Master G of the Sugar Hill Gang. From 1985 to 2005, you couldn't talk to me about it. You couldn't play my music around me. Uh, I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to know it. I didn't want to see it. I was going through a really tough time being uh master G and that even to this day, it's still very difficult to be the celebrity part of being master G. Like, you know, I'm a very low key person. Um, I live in, you know, the Virginia area. I play golf and work out and, you know, I keep a really low profile on I don't, don't want to be, a, I'm not in, you know, all the, to play, I'm just not my way. So the, I think that's the thing that, I think people don't really know that I. That I think people should understand. Like for me, it's it's all about the work. It's all about the work. It, the other stuff is all just a byproduct of when you're an artist and you're a, a successful artist or actor or writer, whatever it is, the byproduct is, the notoriety. You know, one of the people that I think it's did an amazing job was uh, Daft Punk. You know, and they had the helmets. Right. So they can walk around right. and this the music is hugely successful. I that was a brilliant idea because they they know. They know what it's like. And 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 I to a certain degree know what that's like. Like I can walk down the street and a person won't say two words to me. But then I might, you know turn the corner and somebody be like,
2: oh, snap, gee, what's up?
1: You know, or I can walk down the street or walk around for six months or walk around and then walk into a venue and then everybody gets nervous and starts acting weird. And Mm. yeah, because now it's officially, I call it being famous. It's like, Mm. now I got to be famous. Like when I leave my house, I'll be like, okay, I got to go be famous. You know, Mm. uh, it's, it's a whole... So that's, that's something that I I, don't, I think people don't know that I have to, I wrestle with it, even to this day.
0: Wow. What made you then, if you were feeling like this, where you wanted nothing to do with your music, being Master G from 05 to, I think, think you said- so, to 2005. So From 85 to 2005. 85 to 05. What was it then that made you decide to embrace the Master G within
1: you? In 2005? Yeah. Michael Wright, Wonder Mike. So Wonder Mike and I have been friends since we were initially- Put in this group together. He is my best friend in the world. I tell people, Mike is my longest relationship. (laughs) And so when I was in business and doing my own thing, we always had a thing that no matter what would happen, once he stepped away from the existing situation that whatever he wanted to do I would do and that's what happened in 2005. He called me up and he was like look man I'm not dealing with the label anymore There's some people that are interested in doing something, but they won't do it unless you're involved and that's what made me initially go into it And it, it still took me From 2005 it took to now to really start being comfortable with being you know, the celebrity Fame master G.S. Why, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do the, one of the reasons why I'm moving into doing Adonis and why I'm taking these interviews because for a long time I didn't want to do interviews I didn't want right. to I still was very 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 shut off mm-hmm. I come in I'm doing I'm going to do the show right. but I'm not doing all the other stuff right 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 uh, you can see me on stage and, but <laughs> that was it I'm off the stage in the car and I'm gone yeah
0: wow well welcome back we are so glad that you're here. I'm glad to be here I'm having yet. the time of
1: my life all right.
0: Listen, if you run a radio station, hire this man. I would listen to a show that he hosted. So would my mom. (laughs) Next week, we are continuing our story with part three of The Birth of Hip Hop. We'll talk about the song whose contribution to hip hop cannot be overstated. The Message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. The MC shared with the world what life was really like in the Bronx and other communities who were disenfranchised. Decades later, it is still a powerful song. So next week we'll talk about that, the transition to disc records, and what many consider the golden age of hip-hop. Thanks so much for listening. Beyond Black History Month, a hip hop May Takeover, is a special production of 1010 Winds, WCBS News Radio 880, and Odyssey. If you're enjoying our series, please rate and review our show and subscribe. Special thanks to producers Dempsey Pulott and Jill Webb. Andy Egan Thorpe is our audio engineer. And I'm your host and managing producer of podcasts, Fami Redwood.